0: Well, good morning, Midtown. If you're happy to be in the place, you better open up your mouth and say so. Come on, church. Come on. One more time, if you're excited to be in the house, shout unto the Lord, y'all. Come on. <laughs> Man, what an honor it is to be with you today. Uh, my name is Kervin, and my wife and I, we're the associate campus pastors at Norcross, and man, I have the privilege and the honor to be at the best-dressed campus of Victory Church this morning, and... um Man, I want us to take just a moment uh, because I know that my brother and sister, I know that Pastor Kendra and I know that Pastor Mo is supposed to be relaxing on their sabbatical. I know y'all are watching right now online. Can we make some noise right now just to show our love to the moments? We love y'all. And uh, man, what an honor, though, to be here with you all today. And uh, let's just dive right in. We have a lot of content to cover, and uh, I'm excited about what God's going to do. So since February, we've been in this series titled The Sermon on the Mount, and we've been going through this, oh my goodness, amazing manifesto that Jesus taught that we find in Matthew chapters 5, 6, and 7. And we're going to be in the series for the next few months. And what I, love, what I love about this series is that we're literally breaking down the word line upon line, precept upon precept. In fact, uh, in the past four months, in the past four months, uh, we have gone through 40, all 48 verses found in Matthew chapter five. And it's been incredible. If you missed any of the sermons, I would encourage you to go back, and check them out. But I want you to catch what I just said. We spent four months on 48 verses. To me, that bears a reminder of just how much depth and richness there is in the Word of God. I believe sometimes we just kind of water ski along the surface of Scripture. But I believe that in this day and age, in this hour, God is calling us to put the water skis up, to put on some scuba gear, and to take a deep dive, right? There's so much richness and depth in His Word. And uh, I'm excited to jump in to chapter 6. If you're ready, say, let's go. go. here it is. We find in chapter 6 that Jesus begins talking about what he calls the acts of righteousness. And basically, the acts of righteousness, these three acts that he categorizes into three actions, is pretty much the entire essence of Matthew chapter 6. And here they are, giving, praying, and fasting. Now, I want to point out this language that you're going to hear Jesus use throughout this series as we're in the chapter, uh, chapter six. Jesus makes this statement many times. He says this. He says, when you give, when you pray, and when you fast. Now, did y'all catch that? Notice he didn't say, if you give. He didn't say, if you pray. He didn't say, if you fast. The reality is this. That as children of God that have been raised to newness of life in Jesus. Is there anyone here that's grateful for what God has done in your life? Come on, I, I remember where I was when he found me. So it is assumed by God that we will be a people who are generous. It is assumed that we will be a people who pray and a people who fast, believing God to move in power and might. Can I tell you, church, these three items are non-negotiables for Christians. And today, we're going to focus on the very first of those righteous acts that Jesus spoke about, which is giving. All right? Let's dive right in. I love this quote from uh, the late, great Billy Graham, one of the greatest evangelists to walk the face of the earth. He said that God has given us two hands, one to receive with and the other to give with. We are not cisterns made for hoarding. We are channels made for giving. And I know that you may be here today, new to Victory Church. If it's your first time, welcome. Uh, Welcome home. I'm glad you're here. If you're joining us online, I'm glad you're here. But let me just say this to those who are new to the family at Victory Church. We are a house that believes in taking care of the needy. We are a people who believe that God has called us to see a need, to fill it, and to find a hurt and heal it. It's who we are, it's what we do. We make no apologies for that. In fact, we believe that every blessing and every gift that you and I have as children of God, listen, we're only blessed to in turn be a blessing. Amen. So we believe that. And in fact, you know, I'm reminded of growing up, you know, in my in my home, my mom and dad were incredible givers. They really were, they were incredible. Givers, They embody the practice of blessing the world around them. Now, you got to understand, though, we grew up kind of poor. We didn't live, you know, my parents were not wealthy by any means. Um, Grew up in the hood my whole life. But for some reason, my parents had enough to give away to any and everyone who needed help. I remember at at any given day, uh, any given time in my house, we would have a stateside missionary living in our home. Uh, We often had recovering drug addicts living in our home. Uh, There were times I remember my parents giving away vehicles to other people. I remember uh, there were two college students in our church that were struggling to finish college. I remember them uh, making monthly payments to help them pay off their tuition. I mean, at any day of the week, I could come home from school and have a random homeless guy sitting on the couch eating all my afternoon snacks. They're my snacks, right? It was common. This would happen all the time. And can I tell you that even as a young man, that marked my life. And as I grew into adulthood, as I married my childhood sweetheart, and as we are raising children uh, in the statutes of God's word, man, we try really hard to be a people who are generous. We try to be a people who also give and who understand the essence and the reality, and, and the reality that we're blessed just to be a blessing, right? But can I tell you, I've also been the recipient of blessings. In fact, just last year, uh, someone ran into me and totaled my vehicle, and I was distraught. Lord Jesus, (laughs) what are we going to do, right? I'm I'm distraught, and I'm praying, like, Lord, we we have all these kids, and we got one vehicle. This is not working. And I remember for a few weeks, I was just having to Uber back and forth to make it happen until we figured out what was next. And a family from Victory Church heard about this need. We didn't ask. We didn't even put it out there. And this family literally blessed us with a vehicle. Come on, church. Just last year. Like a whole vehicle. Some of y'all, that don't even calculate. Like, are we out here giving whole vehicles? <laughs> we do that? Yeah, baby, that's what we do in the house of God. That's what we do in the family of believers. We take care of one another. But can I tell you this? I say all that to say this, that the Brewingtons have been on both sides of the equation. We have been the receivers, the, the, the recipients of blessing, and we've also been blessed to be the one giving the blessing. And I'm here to tell you that the most joyous occasions out of the two are not the moments when I'm receiving the blessing. It's been those opportunities that God gave me and my wife to bless others. Because what does the Bible say? It is more blessed to give than what? Than to receive. And I get it. Again, like a whole vehicle? (laughs) That's so countercultural. Well, guess what? We don't live according to culture. It seems countercultural to give in that fashion in that way. But can I tell you something? We don't live our lives according to the culture. We live our lives according to the kingdom. And in the kingdom culture, we give. We're blessed to be a blessing to the world around us. In fact, when I think about giving, one of the things that just comes to my mind right away are these videos on YouTube and and on Instagram. Some of you have seen these videos. Uh, Has anyone ever seen the random acts of kindness videos where people just run up to strangers and just bless them. Y'all, my kids, they be pulling these videos up and just the other week, I was in in the black hole of YouTube for about 45 minutes with my kids, watching these videos. If you've never seen one, I have two of them. I want y'all to check these out.
1: What's up, my man? Doing good, my cool bro, how are you? Doing great. Hey, that's what it's all about, my friend. You guys take tips here? Awesome, there you go, my man. Nuclear, baby, nuclear. nuclear. Hey. I love you, man. Love you. Hey. God loves you more, bro. Hey, God loves you too, no, man. He loves you. He loves, you more. loves you. No, come on. No, he loves you more. No, no, bro. Maybe <laughs> he loves you more. <laughs> maybe he loves us equal. How about that? I like it. Ah, man. come on. No. Hey, you have a great day, my friend. stay groovy like a jacuzzi in the summertime, <laughs> man. <laughs> yeah yeah (laughs) hey
2: how are you doing doing good it's a hot one it is i know that you guys are working really hard especially through the pandemic um so i wanted to tip you a thousand dollars
1: are you serious yeah
2: so that's for you
1: oh my god you have no idea what you have done for me i lost my baby just three months ago oh my goodness (laughs) and i have hospital bills and (laughs) You don't know how much money did I do for me and my family. You did a very beautiful thing. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs>
0: on somebody? Like what? Man, that'll make you ugly cry, y'all. Like Some of y'all like, man, I'm a thug. I don't cry. (laughs) Yes, you do. Man, I will watch these videos with my kids literally just on and on one after another. And the reality is that we respond to that. Why? Because we love a heart. We love watching a heart that's free to just give and bless others. But I want to dive in today and really, I I want us to do, how many of you guys were here for the message last weekend? We talked about loving your enemies. That's right. Some of y'all just threw up in your mouth a little bit. Mm. Come on. That's one of the hardest teachings Jesus taught. And I believe today is another one. It's another challenging one. Because what I want to talk to you about today is not just giving. It's not just a talk about giving. It's about the motive behind our giving. Because the reality is this. We love to see hearts that give, but we cannot forget what the Bible says about this heart of ours. Jeremiah said it best in chapter 17, verse nine. He said that the human heart is the most deceitful of all things, and it's desperately wicked. Who can understand it? Who knows how bad it is? And the reality is that Jesus knows, watch me. Jesus knows that even when we're attempting to do good, Because of our sinful nature, there is always something sinister lurking in the shadows of the human heart. Because here's the reality. It's not just if we give that matters. It's how we give that matters. And that's what we're talking about today. Look at the words of Jesus. He said this. He said, be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others to be seen by them. For if you do, you will have no reward from your father in heaven. So when you give to the needy, somebody say when. When. Don't announce it with trumpets as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and on the streets to be honored by others. For truly I tell you that they have received their reward in full. But when you give to the needy, don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. So that your giving may be in secret. Then your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. Come on, if you can't say amen, just say ouch. I want you to hear, if you boil all that down, I want you to catch what Jesus is basically saying. What he's saying, Pastor Kim, is this. He's saying that I see the extension of your hand, but I'm more concerned with the condition of your heart. And the question we have to ask ourselves today is this. Even in the practice of giving and being generous, why are we doing it? Are we giving to feel good about ourselves? Are we giving to impress people? Are we giving simply so that we have a few good stories to tell? I mean, these are real questions we have to ask ourselves. Like, again, let us not be ignorant to the enemy's devices. Jeremiah said it. Our heart is desperately wicked. And there are moments where even in doing good, our motives can be off. We find in Scripture all the time where God is challenging The heart of man. There are times where Jesus tells us, listen, your actions are right, but your attitude is wrong. There are some times where our movements might be on point, but our motives may be off course. And sometimes you don't see it. Sometimes I don't see it. But guess who does? God sees it. Because we look at the outside, but where's God looking at? He's looking at the heart. The truth is that so many of us, it's easy to to see other people who just walk in pride and they're showy and flat. It's easy to look at them and judge them. But the reality is that each and every one of us do it. Some of y'all are like, "Ah, I would never. (laughs) Yeah, you would. (laughs) Pastor Kerbin, how do you know? Because I do it too. We're all guilty. We're all guilty at, in some way, shape, form, at some point, we have all found ourselves giving with this deep down hidden need for self-gratification and approval. Come on, have you ever in your life uh, given to someone who is in need, right? And, may, you know, maybe typically you give just a couple bucks or some change or sometimes you'll just keep going because you're busy. But maybe this one day you just feel really generous, and maybe you bless them with a $20 bill or something. How do we walk away feeling? We walk away feeling good, right? Ch- chest puffed out. Or, or, or have you ever filed your taxes during tax season, right? Like someone said, oh, Jesus, I heard that. A nervous chuckle over there. Have you ever filed your taxes during tax season? And, and, and you go on victoryatl.com to your profile to download your contribution statement. Right, and you look at all the giving that you gave the previous year. Some of you, I'm, I'm talking to my faithful tithers. Some of y'all, you'll be like, "Woo!" Man, I, I did that last year. Man, I'm out here doing real ministry. I really am. I really am. Lord, thank you for allowing me to be a blessing to this house. And then my non-tithers, y'all out there, like, "What's a contribution statement?" <laughs> I'm sorry. Or how about this one? We've all been here. Here it is. What about this one? Had you ever blessed someone with a gift, with money, with uh, whatever, fill in the blank, and it was something extravagant, maybe even something that really cost you, right? And they received this gift, and their response is, appreciate it. Come on now. That thing hits different. That thing, it, it, it hits a part in our soul where you're just thinking, you ungrateful, ah! Right? It, it, it does something on the inside of us. Why? Because could it very well possibly be that our giving wasn't solely just to be a blessing, but there was some self-gratification tied to it? Come on, somebody. Am I talking to the right house today? Are you hearing me, church? Listen, the reality is that every single one of us are guilty of this in some way, shape, form, or fashion. But what Jesus does in this chapter, he takes this egocentric, selfish, sinful bent that we all have in our hearts, and he addresses it head on by making it very clear that in a world that gives to be seen by everyone, I'm calling you to give only to be seen by only one. And that's the challenge. That's why we're here today. So if you're taking notes, here's my question I would propose to the beautiful people of Midtown today. Is this. What happens whenever we give to impressed people? If you're taking notes, here it is. My first thought is this. When we give to impressed people, what do we get? We get impressed people. You catch that? <laughs> when you give to impressed people, your reward are impressed people. I'll never... Um, Oh, my goodness, the late, great Chadwick Bozeman, King T'Challa, right? Man, I wish I could have met this guy in real life. I just love watching his interviews. He just seemed like such a humble guy, right? What a lot of us don't know about Chadwick is that he grew up in the church, was baptized at a young age. He even served in the youth ministry as an adult. In a lot of his interviews, he would quote the word of God, scripture just off the top of his head, right? I'm not trying to preach anyone to heaven. I don't know his life, but I sure would love to meet him one day, man, if, if, if he made it in there. That would move my heart, right? But the reality is that he carried this, 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 this sense of, of humility and deep understanding in all the circles and places where he stepped into. And I love this quote that he shared in an interview. He said this. He said, the number one rule of acting, do not seek approval from the audience, Now, this is coming from an actor, y'all. Do you hear me? He said the number one rule in acting is do not seek approval from the audience. People don't realize that. You cannot do stuff just for the applause. You have to live in the truth. And when it comes to the approval and the applause of man, here's the truth that we have to live in. Jesus said in verse 2, he said that when you give to the needy, don't announce it with trumpets. The way that the hypocrites in the synagogues do, in the streets, they do it to be honored by others. Truly, I tell you that they have received their reward in full. Now, do you notice the word the, 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 the harsh language that Jesus used? He said, don't be like the hypocrites. He said, whenever we give in, in, in an audacious way or when we live our lives in a way that is flashy to be seen, he says, you're like hypocrites. And, and, and I did a little study, and the word hypocrite, the Greek word for it, I practiced this, y'all. It's uh, hippocrata. That was good, right? Hippocrata. I practiced that all night last night, just for y'all. But that word, guess what it actually means? It means actor. It means actor. So what Jesus is saying is that whenever we show up and whenever we're giving in a loud, audacious way, whether it's in church or it's in the world around us, he says you are simply a bunch of actors with your, mask, with your mask on, playing the part, simply awaiting the praise. And here's the crazy thing about giving in an audacious way to be seen is this, that you probably will get a little bit of praise. You probably will get a little bit of recognition. But the caveat to the kingdom is that the applause of the crowd is the only applause that actors will ever receive. And this is hard to talk about, y'all. It's hard to discuss because we live in a society and in an hour where we film, record, and document everything. Like everything. everything. I mean, we can't go out and eat dinner without taking a photo of the food we're eating. And I say that because I'm taking my wife to an Italian restaurant on a date tonight, and you best believe I'm going to post a picture of this bolognese. <laughs> You're going to get this sauce on my gram tonight. Right? Like, we, 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 we can't even enjoy holidays with fireworks with the kids because we're too busy filming the fireworks. We don't enjoy the concert because we're putting the whole set on Instagram Live. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> Like, we meet influential leaders and icons and people we look up to. And rather than taking a moment to be in the moment, what we want to do? Take a selfie. Hey, can you follow me? Nah, okay, I was just playing anyway. <laughs> right? And, and hear what I'm saying today, church. <laughs> hear what I'm saying. There's nothing wrong with posting a picture of your food. There's nothing wrong with taking the selfie, right? I'm not trying to draw some legalistic hard lines in the sand here. But what I am saying is that for some of us, for some of us who have these deep desires for approval and acceptance, if we're not careful, we will find ourselves living for the likes. We will find ourselves posting for the applause. And we've got to stop sometimes and allow the Holy Spirit to check our motives because at the end of the day... If we give to impress people, we only receive impressed people. And you know in this day and age, they'll love you today and tomorrow. In the, in the words of the late, great David Banner, back then they didn't want me, now I'm hot, they all on me, right? Listen to me. If you live for their approval, then you will die by their rejection. Every single—that's why we can't live before an audience of men. We've got to live for an audience of one. Amen? Here it is. What happens when we give to impressed people? Well, we get impressed people. And secondly, we get no reward from God. We get no reward from God. If we live for the applause of people, then, baby, there's no applause from heaven. You can't have both, right? Jesus said in verse 3, but when you give to the needy, don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. So that your giving may be in secret. Then, somebody say then. Then your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. And we find this to be supported in Revelation chapter 22 verse 12. Where Jesus says in his word, behold that I am coming quickly. And my reward is with me. To give to everyone according to his work. Can I tell you something my friend? If you and I would simply just live a generous life without worrying about keeping track of what we do and posting where we've been and who we've blessed, I promise you one day we will stand before God and we will discover that God will have kept a record for you. And the record that God keeps is the one that I want. Amen? And I love, we we remember, right, in chapter 5, Jesus literally said uh, that that a day will come where Jesus will say, when I was hungry, you gave me food. When I was thirsty, you gave me a drink. And people are going to ask, Lord, where was you at, Jesus? (laughs) I don't remember feeding you. I don't remember giving you a drink. Why because those are the believers who weren't busy keeping score of everything that they gave. These were people who were focused on living a generous life, looking for need so that way they could feel it, and finding hurts so that way they could heal it. We got to keep our head in the game and continue being faithful, giving, not to be seen by those around us. And Jesus is the one that will give the reward in the end. Amen? And there's blessings. There's blessing in being a giver that gives for the approval of one. But let me just say this, just a quick theological point. When I talk about the blessing and the reward that comes from us giving in secret, I'm not talking about your salvation, and I'm not talking about eternal life. Why? Because there, <laughs> there's nothing you could do to earn those. So hear me. I'm not talking about salvation. We're not talking about eternal life. We're talking about the blessings of God, the favor of God that comes on this side of eternity whenever we're people who give before an audience of one. In fact, you may not realize this, but if, you're, if you call Victory Church home, you are a part of a blessed house. This house is blessed. There are not many churches our size that are completely debt-free. There are not many churches our size. There are not many churches in general that give 20, a minimum of 20% of everything that comes in going back out into missions, both foreign and local outreach. This is a blessed house. And if you were to ask our founding pastor, why is this house so blessed? He'll tell you two reasons every time. Try it. He'll say, number one, victory has been blessed because we have always prayed for and supported Israel And secondly, because we are a church, we take care of the orphans. We take care of the widows. Come on, we take care of the poor, and we look out for those who are oppressed. Amen? There's a blessing, and there's reward that comes with giving in secret. Here's my third thought today. What happens when we give to impress people? Well, we get impressed people. We get no reward from God, and sadly, sometimes our help, turns to hurt. Our help turns to hurt. Some of you are like, well, what does that mean? What does that look like exactly? Well, let me explain. We give you an example. Here's what happened a few years back at our Hamilton Mill campus. We did this um, toy drive for Christmas, and we promoted this thing. We blasted it out. We were so proud of what we were doing. The church came together, rallied together. There were so many toys and clothes and shoes that we were going to use to to just bless families who were just kind of struggling, trying to make the ends meet. And can I just say for the record, we've all been there, amen? Or maybe you haven't, but I've been there. And it's something we were very proud about. And we invited families to come up a certain weekend to pick up the gifts. And a lot of moms came. There were some single moms that came. And the kids came. They are excited but you wanna know who never showed up two years in a row? The fathers. The fathers never showed up. Because for a father to show up to an event like that would be him saying, daddy couldn't make the ends meet. Dad couldn't make Christmas happen. So therefore, dad has to rely on the church to get gifts for my kids. Can I tell you, as a father, Man, that's hard to process. There's shame that comes with that. And after we noticed this trend two years in a row, our pastors got together and they prayed and they began brainstorming and trying to decide how to change this. Well, they made an executive decision that next year when we did this event, there'd be a rule. No families allowed to come pick up the gifts. Only mom and only dad. Why? So that way, mom and dad could take the gifts to their home. They could write their names on the tag. So on Christmas morning, they're the ones giving the gifts to their children. Why? It restored dignity to the man. It restored dignity to the family. Can I tell you, Victory Church is not the Savior. There's only one Savior, and his name is Jesus. See, it's about dignity. And and, and again, and I want you to catch this, is that even in our efforts to be a blessing, we didn't even realize it, but we were actually harming the men of the house. And we don't want to be a people who do that. We don't want our good to be spoken evil of. And we often forget that whenever we shine the spotlight on what we're doing, we forget sometimes that that spotlight shines on the person we're also helping. And if we're not careful, listen to me, church. If we're not careful, we will give to elevate ourselves while also pushing down the ones that we're trying to help. Rabbi Yanai from the third century said this. It would be better not to have given him anything rather than to have given to him publicly and shamed him. Something to think about, right? And again. It's not about the action. It's it's not about the movement. It's about the motive, amen? And we've got to put our heart and keep our motives under the microscope of God's spirit. Now, Now, for those of you who've really been paying attention this year, we've been in this series, Sermon on the Mount, since February. Some of you may remember that one of our messages a couple months ago, we shared the passage where Jesus said, to the church, to the disciples, and to us, to let our light shine before all men so that they may see our good works. Some of y'all who remember that are sitting here like, well, wait a minute. He said to shine the light and let our works be seen. But now he's saying, don't shine the light. Hide your giving. Jesus, what you want us to do? (laughs) Right? But let me just say this. If I could break this down, I want you to hear what I'm saying. It's because of our cowardice that Jesus said to let your light shine before man. It's because because of our, our, our inclination to hide what God's doing, to hide our faith. He's saying, no, let the light shine. And it's because of our pride that Jesus said, don't give in order to be seen. In the words of A.B. Bruce, a biblical scholar, he said, we are to show when tempted to hide, and we are to hide when tempted to show. I'm going to say that one more time for my people in the back because I need everyone to hear that. We are to show when tempted to hide, and we are to hide when tempted to show. Because, again, it's not about the movement. It's about the motive. With that said, how about we do a little self-examination? Y'all with that? Y'all with a little litmus test? All right. here. So so there's another rabbi from the 12th century. I'm not going to try to pronounce his name. But he's a scholar, and he has some great literary work. And one of his works, he fashioned and curated a list of the different types of givers. So I'm going to read these off, and the reality is that... Everyone in here falls into one of these categories. Now, I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand or stand up or nothing like that. But as we go through these, I want you to really take a self-examination to determine where you are. Y'all with that? Online, y'all with that? All right, let's go. I'm going to pretend like you said yes. All right. Here it is. Number one, the first giver is the one who gives sadly and reluctantly. You may be here today, and you're just thinking, bro, what's the give? Just tell me. (laughs) Like, what is it? Uh, what's the least I can give and still feel good about what I did, right? That's, that's one. Number two is the one who gives less than is fitting but gives it cheerfully. That's the one that says, you know, I don't really have much to give. In fact, what I give is not going to meet the need, but, you know, I'm happy to do it because I'm here. And can I just say this? God loves a cheerful giver. So if that's you, baby steps. I'm glad you're here. Amen? Number three is the one who gives only after being asked to give. That's the one that says, fine, I'll do it, right? And listen, your heart is moving in the right direction, but it still takes some work. Now, now here's the reality. Most of us in this room, that's where we are. Statistically, that's where most Christians park, right here at step number three. But what you don't realize today is that there's five more steps. There's five more levels to this thing. Here it is. The fourth type of giver is the one who gives before being asked. Right? This is the person where changes happen in their heart, where they don't have to be reminded to give because they live out generosity. Listen, these are the individuals in the church that understand the power of the tithe. They're the ones who understand the assignments and why we're put in the earth, right? Here it is number five is the one who gives in such a way that they do not know who's receiving the gift. Now, this is where trust is awakened in our hearts. These are the people who say, listen, I'm releasing it from my hands, and I'm trusting that God's going to accomplish whatever he wants to accomplish with it, right? Number six, this is the one who gives in such a way where the receiver does not know who's giving. Now, this is the big one right here, because the person that you give to will never shake your hand and hug you and say thank you. And the beauty about this type of giver is that whenever that person receives the gift with an anonymous name attached to it, with no name attached to it, they have nowhere to direct their thanksgiving but to God. Can I tell you something? That At this level of giving, that's where the ego starts to die. Oh, Lord, bring me to this place where the ego starts to die. Number seven, this is the one who gives in total anonymity so that they don't know who's gonna receive it and the receiver does not know who gave it. And this is just about as good as it gets, y'all. And and let me just say, uh, when I say that, you know, they don't put their name on it, it's total anonymity. I don't believe he's saying, like, that we shouldn't, like, claim our giving on our, on our tax statements. No, sir. I ain't trying to pay no more taxes than I have to, bobo. Holla if you hear me. <laughs> That's not what it is. That's not what he's saying. He's saying that, listen, that's the giver that says, listen, I don't know who's getting it, and I could care less if they know that I'm the one that gave it. All I know is that God has called me to be obedient, and I know God's in control. He sees the need, and I believe that through my obedience, he's going to meet the need. Amen? Number eight, here's the last one. This is the one who doesn't give charity at all, but he helps the poor rehabilitate themselves by lending money by taking them into partnerships, by employing them. Come on, somebody. For in this way, the end is achieved without any loss of self-respect or dignity at all. Come on. The people that are able to give in this way, they're not opening up their wallet. They're opening up their lives. They're taking people on a journey, right? And the reality is that the highest level of giving is no longer charity, but it's actually empowerment. And like I mentioned earlier, and I didn't even know, I actually found this out recently. I didn't even know that victory, that we do all the things that we do locally in the community and in other nations around the world. I didn't, I had no clue the level of impact, but every quarter, every quarter, that 20% that I share with you that comes into the house, every quarter, there's a meeting that happens with our senior leadership, our financial board and our missions pastor, they sit down And they look at the resource that we bring in together, we, me included, all of us, and they say, where is the need in the earth? And then the resource goes out to meet the need. And I want to share with you one story, just one, just one story. Not to boast, not to brag, because this isn't something I did. This is something that we did. Amen. So we all know, most of us know that there's about 27 million people estimated who are enslaved on planet earth. And slavery looks different in different regions of the world. In some regions, it's sex slavery. In some reg- regions, it's, it's manual labor. Um, but in Pakistan, there's this unique form of slavery. It's called debt slavery. And the way it works, I-, I wish I had time to really break it down, but the way it works is that there can be a man who's struggling who will go to a wealthy individual to work for money. And so let's say he goes to this employer. The employer says, hey, you work for a week. I'll pay you $50. That man works for a week. He Again, off the streets into his space, his living space. He's eating. He's living in his space working. But at the end of the week, when he goes to collect his $50 check, he's only given $25. Why? Because you lived in my house while you worked. You ate my food while you worked. So now you actually owe me. So you need to actually work another week to pay that back. And in fact, why don't you just bring your son to help you so you can pay this debt off quicker Then the following week? Oh, well, now I fed two mouths. You get what I'm saying? There are literally families in Pakistan that are three and four generations in debt, in in slavery. So there's this one family that our missions pastor got connected with. They're a Christian family, mind you. And the grandfather got caught up like this decades ago. The grandfather's not even alive anymore. Now it's his son, his son's wife, and their children, and they're still living in debt slavery. Three generations in debt slavery. Well, we found out, found out about this need, and let me tell you what happened because of your faithfulness and your obedience because we are a generous church, we were able to go over and to not only pay the debt that, would, that remained over this family, we freed them from slavery, we found a location, a home for them, we covered their first month's rent, we bought the father a motorbike with an, with an attached bed so he could start selling produce and goods to support his family. And today, by your giving, we have freed three generations. Come on, Victory Church. Three generations who are free today. And you know how much that cost? 2000 American dollars. Let that sink in for a minute. For some of us, that's a cheap vacation. For some of us, that's just a weekend getaway. $2,000. Can I tell you something? That's really not a lot. But how many of you know that natural things placed in the hands of a supernatural God can do supernatural things in the earth? Amen? (laughs) Listen, we celebrate that story because we showed up and we gave at an eight. Now, did any of you know what was happening? (laughs) None of us knew. I didn't even know that this was happening. But this is just one story of hundreds of lives that are impacted through what we do at Victory. And the truth is, every single day, we have an opportunity to impact more lives and to see more people who are in bondage set free. In fact, we have an opportunity today to be a part of something miraculous taking place in Southern Florida. Take a minute. I want you guys to watch this video. Police continue their search for Layla Cabot who disappeared two years ago. Cabot's two-year-old son Camden was found by himself in the parking lot of the Edge Apartments on Southwest
1: 68th Avenue in South Florida. We are
2: investigating every possibility as to why Layla went missing.
1: Layla Cabot has not been seen since. The search still continues.
2: Two years later, Cabot's body has not been found. What happened to this 21-year-old mother? The whole idea of Layla's home comes from a young lady named Layla who was 21 years old, a single mother, lived in a city north of Atlanta, and she had been communicating with a guy on social media, packed up one night, drove down to South Florida, and went missing. We searched everywhere from Fort Lauderdale down to Miami and someone locally took us to all the different places where trafficking was happening. And we were just seeing this underbelly of sexual exploitation happening in South Florida. As this story's unfolding, we're looking for Layla, we're praying for Layla to be found, but she's not. And we're kind of left with the question, God, why is Layla not being recovered? And God spoke so clearly in the pursuit of Layla, who is worth it. Look at all the other women that you've encountered along the way that are also worth it.
1: We find here in South Florida, women who are being pimped, women who are being trafficked, minors, women who are being trafficked and don't even know they're being trafficked. They've been so conditioned. Abandonment, they were abused as children. They were neglected. They all have some sort of trauma. One woman told me, I don't do drugs, I don't even drink, but I have to literally disassociate and pretend that this is all a dream so that I can get through the night. I hate doing this. It's a lot of brokenness, a lot of sadness, a lot of darkness, and I guarantee you, not one woman wants to be there.
2: There's a very real pain that you feel when you see women caught up in sexual exploitation and you know that you don't have an immediate solution to give to them. So we found this spot and it's definitely an active track. There's a guy on a motorcycle who's directly with one woman but seems to be watching a few across the street as well, and they're all spread out 25, 50 yards from each other up and down both sides of the road, and we've seen a couple of cars pull up next to the girls and talk to them, probably looking for a quote-unquote date. They're on the phone with each other now too, so I would venture to say they are alerted That's why they're clustering. Let's do a pull-off into a gas station or something and see if the guy, because he definitely is matching our pace. Right now, if one of those women had asked us for help right away, that emergency solution doesn't exist.
1: We are in desperate need of a short-term facility here in South Florida. Florida is the third largest state where human trafficking happens. Right now, there's no place to go. There's very few, and they're not specific to human trafficking. We went into the club with this team, and two days after that outreach, I received a text message. This specific woman shared that she needed help and she wanted out of this industry. We talked, we prayed, I reminded her she's loved, she's cared for, that there's an amazing team waiting for her in Atlanta.
2: And get this, the home where this rescued woman came is the same home that Victory helped frontline purchase with a Christmas gift to the world years ago. Hundreds of women later, hundreds of rescues later, as we're getting ready to launch one down here that Victory once again is gonna be a part of.
1: Having a Christian trauma-informed safe home here in South Florida would mean that a woman gets to have a safe place to stay for longer than just one night. It would mean that we can meet this practical need before meeting any spiritual needs because she won't have to worry about where she's going to sleep tomorrow and she can just calm that anxiety and fear. And I can tell her, I have a place for you.
2: In our search for Layla and everything that we learned about the anti trafficking landscape is that there is not a dedicated home, 24 hour staffed, emergency, around the clock for trafficking. Just a few miles away from this very spot is the place that will be the very first emergency safe home that Frontline opens in South Florida. And this home will have the capacity to serve as many as 100 women per year. So if they make that courageous choice to get help, they can get it immediately and there's no barrier to them other than getting to that place of being able to say yes. Every woman who crosses the threshold of this safe home will have the opportunity to respond to the love of Jesus. Partner with us and let's tell these women that have been overlooked and unseen, you are loved, you are valued, you matter.
0: Wow. In a 50 mile radius in South Florida, there's 70,000 victims sex trafficking and this is happening on our watch y'all I'll never forget a story I heard about a young lady who was rescued from the sex trade and the missionary knelt down in front of her face and she said sweetheart do you realize you're free you have your whole life ahead of you the nightmare is over Jesus loves you and the young lady looked up at the missionary as a tear trickled down her face, her response was this, if Jesus truly loved me so much, then why didn't he send you sooner? And how, how many more people are we gonna allow to ask that same question? I don't know about you, but let it not be said of me. Let it not be said of this house that we sat back and did nothing while there were hurting people waiting for the extension of god's hand to pull them out of the depths of where they are amen so today today we have an opportunity to show up at an eight to show up at an eight to bless to bring freedom to to young ladies to women who may never shake your hand who may never hug your neck they may never know that there is a victory church that supported this ministry. But God knows, God sees. And at the end of the day, we were born for this, y'all. We were placed in this earth and we've been blessed. Why? Simply to be a blessing to the world around us. So right now on the screen, we're going to throw up this QR code. I want to encourage you, grab your phone, take a picture of this QR code, scan it, um, if you're unable to do and, and let me let me say this if, if you're thinking oh, I'll do it later please, please don't do that man, scan this code right now I want you to feel the urgency in this moment if you're online you can, you can scan the code right there there's a link in the chat you can also go to our giving page at victoryatl.com when you scan the code or if you go online uh, let me give you a little instruction you'll see really big Layla's house and a give button when you hit that give button You will then have to select your campus. So go ahead, select Midtown Campus, right? Represent. And then the next page will be our giving page. And there's a box where it says fund. Click that box. It's a drop-down menu. And you're going to select heart for the house. That's what you're giving to, the heart for the house. That's the fund that will make sure that every gift that comes in goes to Layla's house. Amen? Amen. What a time to be alive, y'all. What a blessing it is to be the hands and feet of Jesus in a broken world, man. This is what we were made for. We were not put on this earth to be consumers and hoarders of applause and praise. It's not the heart of God. We were placed on this earth to be his hands and his feet to broken people, to hurting people that are far from God. Now I don't know about you, but when I stand before the Lord, I don't wanna have the blood I've lost people on my hand. I want to stand before God one day knowing that by his grace, I did everything I could to ensure that as many people came to the saving knowledge of Jesus as possible. And if that is said of me at the end of my life, if that one thing is said of me, not from a stage, not in a platform, not in an arena full of people, but if that truth is spoken of my life from the God who saved me from my sin, And baby, it was a life well lived. It was a purpose-filled life well lived. And that's what God has called us to, amen. With every head bowed, every eye closed, Lord, we thank you today for who you are. We thank you, Lord, that we have the privilege to be a part of what you're doing in the lives of people. And I pray, God, that each and every one of us would step into a life of humility, living for an audience of one, Lord, we may not gain much applause on social media and we may not gain much approval from men. But Lord, I pray that from this day forward that we would be a people who show when we're tempted to hide and that we would hide whenever we're tempted to show. And we know that in all things, you will receive the glory. We love you, we honor you, and we thank you Lord, for the $100,000, God, that we're believing is going to be raised across every Victory Campus today. We thank you. We believe by faith that you will accomplish every good work that you set out to accomplish. We love you. We honor you. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen and amen. God bless you.